Welcome to the Trinity Grace Church Tribeca podcast. At Trinity Grace Church, our mission is to help New Yorkers grow in love by practicing the way of Jesus for the good of our city. If you're interested in Trinity Grace Church Tribeca, check out our website at tgctribeca.com where you can learn more about us and learn about ways that you can help support our church and this podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook to see and hear what's going on in our community. Thank you for joining us today and welcome grace and peace to you. to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. The gospel of our Lord. You can be seated. Before I offer uh, my reflection this morning, I, I do want to invite you into a practice we do every week, which is to open our hearts to God um, and to, to bring our full selves, in, in a sense, to attention this morning. So whatever you bring into the room, it could be lots of faith and lots of doubt, it could be lots of hope or lots of cynicism, uh, you could be gliding in with just tons of joy, or you could be weighed down by the burdens of life right now. Just bring your full self to this moment. And open your heart to the possibility that God could take this story and this teaching and weave it into your life in a way that matters. Um, so we just do that together as a community. Take a few moments of quiet as best as you know how. And as we're quiet together, just invite you to focus on your breath. Come present to even your own body. It's so easy to be disembodied in the city. Just be in your head. If you could ground yourself right now in your body. One of the beauties of our faith is it's incarnational. Uh, the word becomes flesh in our tradition. The same word for the spirit of God is the word for breath. And we're reminded how near and how close and how connected we are to God's presence, if we have attention and eyes to see. So God, give us those eyes this morning. May we be attentive to the work of your spirit in our life. Give us courage and give us imagination as we think about this text, we think about our life, we think about our world. Make us 
full and rich of meaningful connections. We pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So every week when I, uh, I think about these stories uh, that, I'm, that I'm preaching on, and I don't just think about them, but I, I do a prayer practice with them. And one of the practices I do is called Lexio Divina. It's like a reflective, meditative uh, engagement with the Bible. And uh, it's three readings. And the first reading, you ask the question, what word or phrase jumps out to you? And I thought I'd share the phrase that, that sort of landed with me at the outset of the sermon. It's this phrase at the beginning of our text in verse 11, where it says, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus, and this is the phrase, traveled along the border. Jesus traveled along the border. Now, the border in mention here is a border between Samaria and uh, Galilee. It was a border between uh, two people groups, groups that were at odds with one another, who had disagreements, severe disagreements, about how God was to be worshipped and how life was to be lived. So their ideologies, their theologies, their ethics were radically different, and uh, this wasn't just an idea war. I mean, there was like a real social problem here. There was disgust uh, toward each other. Uh, there was isolation, uh, and in some cases, there were there were there was violence. And Jesus is just here in the context of the story, scene traveling along the border. And I love it because this morning we're going to talk about gratitude. And as we think about gratitude and we use our imagination about the role gratitude could play in our life, I wonder what it means for us as we ask the question, where is that to be experienced? Sometimes we think of the spiritual life as this other plane, this distant, ethereal, sort of above the clouds um, place in our life where we're able to escape from life's demands or challenges and somehow get there where there's peace and there's happiness and there's serenity. But Jesus' life is nothing like that. Jesus is seen here in the border, in the midst of the tension, and it's here that something beautiful happens and that an opportunity for transformation and gratitude happens. And it's no different for us. Right now, you are living life in this city. At least those of you who aren't tourists and here this morning, we welcome you. Or those who are listening on the podcast, we welcome you as well. Um, but we're doing life in the city, and it can be such a grind. There's, uh, you know, a lot of pressure for our, with our jobs. There's a lot of social tension sometimes around such radical difference. Uh, we either engage it or we sort of numb out and check out from it. And I think this, at the outset, is an invitation to just embrace the beauty and the potential of where we are. New York is unlike anywhere else on the planet. You get to be around all of these borders, these social and cultural borders and boundaries. And there's so much rich potential for experiencing God on the border. Now, with that said, I'd like to just introduce this idea of gratitude. That's what the morning's about. That's what the story's about. But when I think about gratitude, I usually, uh, I, I imagine two poles, two kinds of people. And I feel these two people almost as like, uh, imaginary people in my soul at war with one another. And I wonder uh, which kind of person you resonate with. Um, I think there are, are two tendencies. I call them the bypassers on the one hand and the brooders on the other. Um, when it comes to gratitude and when it comes to pain and challenge and dark things in our lives, I notice you either tend to be a bypasser or a brooder. What are these people? Who are these people? 
Um, some of you will feel both of them in your, in your soul as I do. The bypassers, these are people who have a tendency to see the bright side in everything. And they're sort of like, um, sort of like Fix-It Felix from the movie Wreck-It Ralph. I know, I know you're all like, that's like so sophisticated of a connection, Michael. Thank you for that. Fix-It Felix. It can seem delightful at times. These are people who are very pleasant to be around, at least at first. Um, how do they keep so bright and how do they keep so positive? Um, I wonder that and I love it and I marvel at it often. But the shadow of this is, can be long and it can also be dark. Bypassers often trivialize pain. They can avoid it, they can sort of shove it down, uh, they can deny it. Uh, they can often refuse to acknowledge it when it's present. And so they end up becoming disconnected from their feelings about what's actually happening in their life and they just go straight for, their, their instinct is to go straight for a solution or straight to a distraction. Now, I am, I'm actually hardwired this way. Um, I'm hardwired when I experience pain or when I experience strong feeling to sort of disconnect from it, segment it, uh, partition it, and move on with life. I, mean, that, I think that's my instinct of, of my personality. And I, I look for solutions, and well, how can we fix it? How can we make it better? Um, how can I move forward in life? And I think there is obviously something really important and helpful about solutions-based approaches or about looking for ways uh, to move forward in life and not just be overwhelmed. But there is, among the bypassers, a radical disconnect with how they're actually feeling and what's actually happening in the world. Uh, bypassers often offer sort of glib slogans uh, when faced with their own pain or the pain of others. And so it sounds positive on the front, but in the end, it can feel hollow, it can feel cold, it can feel like it lacks empathy or feeling. And so for this person, if you're a bypasser, you have a bypasser tendency, you can become a slave to the ideal that you have in your mind and disconnected from your experience. This takes on all kinds of forms of religion. There's actually a book called Spiritual Bypassing um, and it basically pens how people who are religious, uh, especially in Christian circles, use their faith and use slogans of their faith to bypass how they're actually thinking and feeling and try to go straight for some fix, some emotional fix. But in the end, it, it can blow our lives up because there's really no healing unless we're connected with our feelings. And there's really no uh, depth or substance if we cannot connect with these darker parts of our lives. So these are the bypassers. That's one end of the spectrum. The other is the brooders. And uh, these are people who have a tendency to, to see the dark side of everything. Um, they're Wreck-It Ralph. Um, they're committed to authenticity. Uh, they feel all the feels. Uh, they refuse the fake in life. Uh, and this sounds good too, right? I mean, you hear that and you're like, wow, that's noble. That kind of authenticity is admirable. And it is. It's refreshing. There's no BS. But they often see authenticity as incompatible with um, gratitude. Or at least incompatible with practicing your way into feeling. 
In other words, if I'm feeling it, then I'm going to connect with it, and I'm going to express it, come what may. The brooders often fail and suffer from their own kind of naivete. The brooders fail to take into account all the circumstances, all the ideas, all the people that influence us, that shape us, that make us, uh, that sort of curate our sensibilities that lead to the feelings that we have. They fail to take into account the ways we're shaped and formed by our world and our stories. And so what may feel like this bright, bubbling, sort of authentic feeling originating in the core of who I am, some original core, it's actually just often the product of social constructs and experiences and stories and expectations. And so what they take as authentic and originating is in, in, in their essence can often uh, be just social constructs. And here's the challenge. Whereas the bypasser becomes a slave to an ideal and they're disconnected from their feelings, the brooder can become a slave to sort of the status quo of experience and have little possibility or openness to meaningful change, meaningful transformation. Now, I would imagine you're probably not entirely one or the other, but you probably have one dominant sensibility. Now, I want to talk this morning about the possibility of gratitude, no matter what your disposition. And I want to think of it through two lenses, the lens of science, and then we'll look at it through the lens of faith and our story. First, the lens of science. So uh, what we've learned and what science has showed us is that um, authenticity is not incompatible with the practice of gratitude, even when you're feeling down. Um, in uh, his book, Gross National Happiness, Arthur Brooks says, quote, building the best life does not require fealty to feelings in the name of authenticity, but rather rebelling against negative impulses and acting right even when we don't feel like it. Now again, if you're a brooder, you're like, no, that's not authentic. I'm not gonna do that. That's fake. And if you're a bypasser, you're like, I knew it all along. <laughs> but what I want you to see this morning and what I hope you can imagine gratitude as, as a, as a portal into an outlook, that gratitude isn't just a feeling that you feel and you naturally have in your heart and it just sort of ebbs and flows based on your experience, but gratitude can be a practice that shapes you and that forms you. Sometimes we practice our way into faith. Sometimes we practice our way into hope. Sometimes we practice our way into love. It just doesn't come spontaneously and naturally. And the same is true of gratitude. There's a study UC Berkeley did in 2003 that compared uh, the well-being of participants who made uh, weekly gratitude lists compared with people who made similar lists only of things that were neutral or things that irritated them. And as you would probably imagine, the researchers uh, showed that the gratitude-focused participants were people who exhibited increased senses of well-being. And they concluded that, quote, a conscious focus on blessings may have emotional and interpersonal benefits. There's also an interesting sort of budding of neurology and gratitude. Um, there was a functional MRI study that was done um, and a series of these that have been published over the last 10 years. And how does gratitude affect the brain? One way is it stimulates these two important regions of the brain. First, the hypothalamus, which basically regulates our stress and our stress responses. 
but it also activates and engages uh, the ventral tegmental area. And this is the area that is the pleasure center of the brain. It's like the reward center within the brain. Both of these are active and engaged when one practices gratitude. And in other words, science is telling us that despite our feelings, despite our experiences, if we will choose to take stock of the good and the true and the beautiful that exists right now in our lives, our brains can actually be rewired. That sort of neuroplasticity that we're discovering can be actualized for a positive benefit. Now, I wanna talk about order and the way order matters in this. Because the problem with the bypasser is they wanna jump straight to the practice they want to jump straight to the gratitude, straight to the positive, straight to the fix, without actually connecting with the feeling, the pain, or the darkness of life. And if you don't allow yourself to feel negative emotions like sadness or fear or anger, then you end up bypassing and you disconnect, and that can be super unhealthy. Um, it, the, the sort of uh, mental state of happiness that you achieve is hollow. It's not real. But if you're stuck in the rut or the bottom end of the roller coaster of pain and darkness and you just find yourself in that loop, not able to get out, then the practice of gratitude offers you a way out. And so I want to think about this also through sort of the spiritual lens, through the lens of spirituality in our text. Now, what I love about this story is Jesus, as, as we said, sees these 10 lepers in this town. They come to him. And they stay, they keep their distance, which is a social cue. They know that uh, they're not allowed within a certain proximity of people who are ritually clean. Because they themselves are ritually unclean. Which meant they had a certain quality of life. A quality of life that was isolated. Uh, they were looked upon with disgust and skepticism and kept at a distance. And they respected that boundary. And so they sort of shouted across the boundary, so to speak, to Jesus. And Jesus hears them. And Jesus responds to them. What I love about Jesus in like the healing stories is Jesus never responds the same way twice, it seems, when people have a problem um, or when people have a question. So if Jesus is going to give you an answer or Jesus is going to address something practically in your life, it's not through some formula or some calculus that we just need to memorize and figure out and apply. There is an art we see Jesus working, the human art, of learning to love and discern. And Jesus puts that into practice here. Jesus sees these people... And he doesn't touch them. He touches a leper in another account, and it's profound because lepers aren't touched. Uh, he doesn't heal them on the spot. Instead, he says this in verse 14, go and show yourselves to the priests. That's all we have Jesus saying here. Jesus doesn't say, go show yourselves to the priests, and then X, Y, Z will happen. He doesn't say, uh, go and show yourselves to the priest and let me give you the formula for what you're supposed to do. Here's like two or three things that you can focus on. Uh, instead, he just says, go and show yourselves to the priests. And the narrative swiftly moves on, leaving us with a million questions. They say, er, the text says, and they went and they were cleansed. Now, what we're to make of this, I'm not exactly sure. But I, I don't think the point is to get bogged down in the mechanics as much as it is to watch their responses. One of them, the text tells us, 
when he saw he was healed, came back, and there are these things that the practices that this person engages in. First of all, uh, praising God with a loud voice. There's a loud, visceral response in this person to the goodness. The second is uh, he uh, gets on his knees, throws himself at Jesus' feet. And then the third is he thanks him. And after the narrator tells us what this person has done to express gratitude, it includes this one little bit about him, that he was a Samaritan. Now, there's a couple things that I want to point out here about the spirituality of gratitude. First of all, I think it, it points us to, it does two things. It, it sources us, it's, it's about sourcing, and it's also about socializing. When God uh, it, it moves in our lives through good and true and beautiful things, if we can follow these things through to their logical conclusions, we can experience the sourcing and the socializing effect that it's intended to have. First of all, the sourcing. Now, our text has like, there's, there's two common words for healing in the Bible, and neither of them show up in most of the manuscripts for this text. Um, instead, we have three, wor- three words, cleansing, cleansing, cleansing. Um, you know, they, they uh, are told to go to the priests, and they'll receive their cleansing, and then upon being cleansed. And then when some of them are cleansed, they go off and do their business. One of them is cleansed. They come back to thank Jesus. But then at the very end, there's a different word that's used. It's the word that at the end of our text uh, says in verse 19. He said to him, rise and go, Jesus says to the leper. Your faith has made you, most translations say well. But the word used here is not the word, the same word that's been used up to this point, cleanse. It's the Greek word sozo, which is where we get our word salvation. It's the same word used of the tax collector a a few episodes down, down the block where Uh, it says salvation has come to this house. And Luke has been building these these stories and these vignettes of what it means to be saved in this world when we feel we're in danger or we're at threat. How is God saving us? How is God rescuing us? How is God healing us? Jesus looks at this person and he says, your faith has saved you. It's made you sozo. And so, uh, what does this mean? I kind of have this sense from this, and, and if we're looking at it through a spiritual lens, our tradition has taught us that the practice of gratitude has a healing effect in our life. Because there's, there's kind of this constant assumption, which is there is so much good and true and beautiful stuff in our life at all times. It's, it's overwhelming if we actually pause to think about it. But because we're wired for survival and our brains sort of latch on to the negative things, the threats, so, so that we can survive and protect ourselves, we often don't have eyes to see the good and the true and the beautiful in our lives, but it's constantly pouring over us. It's astonishing. And the question this text asks all of us is, what are we doing with this? What are we doing with this experience of the good? What are we doing with this experience of wonder and of beauty? What are we doing with this experience of meaning and love in our lives? What, what outlet, what sort of uh, expression does it take? And I think this story is sort of a par- parable. Are we going to be like the nine who all experience a good thing, but then just so quickly move on with our lives without sourcing it in something? The, the lepers, who are, the one leper who comes back to Jesus, 
comes back to the source of the blessing, comes back to the source of the goodness, of the healing, of the beauty, of the good, and, and says, thank you. Now, how does this speak to the bypasser, bypassers in the room and the brooders in the room? First of all, the bypassers. This person, this leper who comes back to Jesus, thankful and with great gratitude, is someone who has clearly felt the darkness and felt the pain. Um, we, we learn that uh, this was a person who's shouting with a loud voice. You don't do that unless you're deeply connected to a dark thing and then experience a light thing. Like that contrast creates a, a sort of combustion in the heart. When you experience that movement, that dramatic movement from dark to light, from bad to good, from somber to bright, like these movements produce passion. They produce joy. And this is a passionate response in this man. It's someone who's gone down the roller coaster of life. They've gone to the bottom of the pain and the feeling, and then they've come up to the other side, tasting something good and beautiful, and they bring it back to the source. Martin Luther was once asked during the Protestant Reformation period, among all the, the shifts that were happening at his time, I mean, these, there were church shifts, ecclesial shifts, ethical shifts, liturgical shifts, and lots of people were asking questions, and frequently Martin Luther was asked, what is the, the nature of true worship? One of the questions the church was asking, it was a high-stakes question. And Martin Luther was known to have said and simply respond, the tenth leper turning back. That's the essence of true worship. When we think about the practice of gratitude, what we're looking at is a portal into true worship of taking all stock of the good and true and beautiful in our lives and connecting it back to its source. And there's something healing about that. And there's something complete about that. There's something in us that's repaired when we do it. It's something that gets us our humanity back, which is the essence of salvation. God's saving work is repairing our humanity. And we can't do it without seeing the good and sourcing it back in our creator. Jesus commends this person. He says, your faith, this open heart, to the goodness, this open heart, to let this goodness come to expression through gratitude has made you well. And so I wonder this morning in terms of the spirituality of gratitude, how you might be repaired, how you might be mended, how you might be shaped just by simply practicing gratitude. Now, the, the second thing that I would look at this through is not just sourcing, but socializing. Um, it's really important in this text that, that we know this person is a Samaritan. The storyteller wants us to know. Jesus even fronts it by saying, uh, is it the foreigner who's come back and said thank you? As if to sort of make the point to his audience. These were people who were already on the outskirts. They were already on the margins. Lepers knew isolation. They knew what it was like to be the victim in society. But this was the victim among the victims. You know, do you think that uh, the, uh, the nine Jewish lepers didn't also target this person as scapegoat, didn't discriminate, didn't push him out or make fun of him or keep him at distance. This is not only a victim, as the lepers were, but the victim of the victims. And it's this person who has eyes to see. It's this person who, in the face of all the darkness and all the, the, the sort of like hell of being on the margins and being the target and being the victim can see the good thing and can bring it back to God and can be made well through that process. 
And Jesus says, look where we found that. Look where we found that healing loop. It wasn't among the insiders. It was among the outsider. It wasn't among the people you would expect that to happen from. It was in a surprising place with a surprising person. And I think this is tremendously encouraging in a place like New York and for our world today, where maybe your religious sensibilities is that you'll find God within your people, within your tribe, within your church, within your tradition. But our own tradition and our own stories teach us to look for God outside of our tradition, outside of our circles, outside of our groups, in the unexpected places. And to be open to the surprises that we'll find there, the lessons that we'll learn there, maybe even the convicting realities that will remind us and prompt us to remember our own calling and our own responsibilities. This person, like the Good Samaritan, who helps the person along the way when the priest and the, the ex expert in the law pass by, this person sees something that the rest don't see. And I wonder if the practice of gratitude doesn't expand our sort of, our gaze. It doesn't expand our consciousness beyond our tribe, beyond our story, beyond our tradition to see the good stuff out there. That the good and the true and the beautiful isn't exclusively focused among us. It's spread to all humanity. And that we can find open hearts outside of our tribe who are connecting it back and sourcing it back to God. And here, it's this outsider who appreciates and sees this beauty in Jesus, not the insider. And I think that is a, is a really powerful thing when it comes to gratitude. Gratitude, it, it, it has this sourcing effect in our life, but it also has this socializing effect. Not to look at others with cynicism or skepticism or suspicion, but to have this generous outlook, to be able to look at someone and expect that maybe God is doing something powerful there that I can learn from. That's what our tradition teaches us. That's what our gospel teaches us to expect. Faith and love, and yes, even this salvation that our text speaks of can happen in the most surprising places. The other nine didn't connect dots. They just experienced a good thing, and they moved back to the old systems, the old groups, the old structures, and they didn't think about what is this moment, what is this healing, what is this goodness saying about all of these structures and social situations? The victim par excellence knew what this meant. And it moved him to his core. And he came back to say, thank you. So what does it mean to practice gratitude? I think for each of us, we need to consider what this looks like on a daily basis. This is not the kind of thing you just do haphazardly or occasionally. It's the kind of thing you practice into your experience. I think there's a couple ways to do this. Brooks, uh, in his book, points out these three things which I'll share, and then I'll give you two within our community that you can consider to practice as we do this together. Here's Brooks's three. First of all, there's this interior practice, he says. Interior gratitude. This can be lists that you create. This can be a daily personal practice that you engage, which puts you in touch with the good of your life. Puts you in touch with the beauty in your life and the goodness. And then there's external or exterior gratitude. And this isn't just taking stock of your own life. It's actually surveying things that you're grateful for around you and expressing your appreciation. Um, someone in my life uh, did this in the last, I think, the last year. 
uh, and they did this as a practice. They, they actually read a book, and they were uh, prompted to this, this like, practice of saying thank you through letter writing. And, uh, and I got a letter in the mail, and it was simple, it was, it was kind, it was meaningful, and it made a big difference. Now here's where science comes in again. Um, science often when it comes to the expression of gratitude uh, uh, has learned a couple of things. We tend to overestimate the awkward factor or the insincere effect of our own expressions of gratitude compared to how it's received. On a scale of one to five, they would ask people who were about to write a thank you note or about to shoot over a thankful email. And they would say, uh, on a scale of one to five, how well do you think this will be received? And it was usually around like a two or a three. But it was always received on the scale of four or five. You can't underestimate the impact that expressing gratitude for people in your life will have on the people of your life. You will raise, in his words, the gross national happiness simply by doing this external practice. So there's the interior, there's the exterior, but then he also has this idea of the ordinary, which is we're often looking for big, shiny, bright, wonderful things, and when those are absent, and those things often loom large in our life, they hang over us as sometimes a shadow, uh, the ideal that we're not experiencing, and then because we're not experiencing it, we feel just like empty and void. This practice looks at the, just the ordinary things of life and helps us to take stock of them, the things we take for granted, things like clean, fresh air. That may have been the wrong example in this city. Um, things like fresh fruit, a farmer's market, things like the colors of our lives. I can remember uh, maybe one of the first, and I, will, I promise I'm on a string of Lord of the Rings references and I'm just going to keep going. Um, the first time I ever read the Lord of the Rings, I was in my room and uh, it was late at night and I was just like really deep dive into uh, the end of the third book. And there's this moment where uh, Frodo is in Mordor uh, and as he's in Mordor, he like, he's, he's, he's dry and he's parched and there's just ash and there's this sense of, um, of dryness. The whole landscape is baked and he is so thirsty. And somehow through the way Tolkien writes the story, you are feeling the thirst at your core. Like I had just had a big tall glass of water and I was so thirsty reading this part of the story. And as I was reading that story, I just had this appreciation for water, just normal water. It reminds me of the same first time that I, I saw uh, my good friend Scott Harrison tell his story and the story of people that his organization, Charity Water, is trying to get clean water to, the people who do not have it around the world. And he would show the quality under a microscope of the water that m most people around the world drink. And it made me just appreciate this ordinary thing that I have this magical access to through a faucet or through a water fountain that nourishes me, that takes care of me, that keeps me healthy and alive. The simple ordinary of that. I, I, uh, I think of, th th there's often this idea of comparing down. And I'm not sure what I think about this. I think it can be, it can lead to like patronizing. It can lead to uh, complacency with our lot in life. Isn't it great that our life's better than X, Y, Z? Um, but there is, I think we all know the practical effect of seeing something that's darker than your experience that relativizes what you're going through right now. 
Like when someone's going through some pain or some darkness or some hardship, and then you come back to your life with new eyes, that's a powerful experience. But gratitude is at the core of that. Gratitude opens something up in us to experience God in ways we can't experience when we're shut off to it. And so I'm going to give you some practical things you can actually do with our community. Number one, Wednesday nights. Right now, we are intentionally helping you learn how to connect to practices that help you pay attention to life that produce gratitude. This last week uh, was my second experience of this with, with the Wednesday night uh, gathering. And we've been doing this practice called the examine. The first week, it's kind of a reflection prayer. And the first week, I was reflecting on my day. And uh, I was surprised. I was actually floored. I've done this practice many times, but somehow Aaron has a way of I mean, it just, I can't say anything other than it had a sourcing effect. He connected it to God in such a profound way, whereas before I was just like analyzing my day through this prayer. But somehow I just saw God at work in so many parts of my day that had just flown by that I hadn't really thought much about. And memory after memory after memory was coming, uh, quiet moments with one of my children in the morning, um, or a little like hug or snuggle or an exchange of a word. Um, or a meal that was had, and I considered the labor behind the meal, and, and, or the care of something. I was just like floored by all this goodness in my life. And it was like this bubbling thing in my soul that was just rising and rising and rising. And at the end of the practice, I, I was so overpowered with gratitude. The next night, um, I was reflecting, and something hard came up. Uh, it was a confrontation, it was an argument. And that was the memory that sort of like had the most gravitas. And because of this practice, I was able to feel the pain of it. But then somehow I was able to get to a point where I could also see there was goodness here too. There were two people who loved one another, who were engaging each other, who were fighting for something good each in their own way. And somehow it went from seeing the goodness of it, this thing that was causing me pain, to also laughing at it and seeing the humor in it because I had a level of distance and perspective through this practice. And again, I left with the brightness of gratitude in my heart and a renewed sense of courage and confidence and energy to come back and engage that again. And that's just because I went to Wednesday night, two weeks in a row. We also are beginning these table groups, and sort of molded into these table groups is the practice of gratitude. We share a meal, and we go around and we share big or small things that we're grateful for, and it has a kind of momentum to it. And so whether it's Wednesday nights, or it's table groups, or it's your own private practice of just listing or taking time to reflect, I wonder what the invitation is for you to embrace gratitude as a portal. God is always doing good and beautiful things in our lives. We are constantly beneficiaries of it. What are we going to do with it? Let's pray. God, we pray as we come to this table, which is called the Eucharist, which means the great thanksgiving that you would grace us, that we'd feel your presence, that we'd be prompted back to the source of all that's good in our life, and that we'd have new eyes to see it and appreciate it and savor it. Lord, would you increase the, gr gr the gratitude quotient within our community this morning? Would you cause it to bubble over 
that we would bless one another, that we would bless our neighbors, that we would bless our coworkers, that we would bless our city as we reconnect with gratitude through this story. May this practice reshape us and reform us into the image of Jesus. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.